Page fright is recorded on the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. This is the only podcast that I host. I am really excited about today's episode. I think I owe you as a listener an apology, uh, which I find myself doing a lot on this podcast, mainly around my logistical um, abilities and, and, and my, you know, capacity to actually get episodes out. But um, this one is, I think, very well warranted in the sense that it's currently 12.54 p.m. on March 31st, and I'm just sitting down to edit now. Um, so I'm really getting this episode in under the wire, uh, at least by my standards. And we recorded this a week ago today, um, Vivian and I, and Vivian Lee is our guest today, and, and, and I'll mention a little bit about her in a moment here, but um, this is about as close as I get, so I apologize for that. And the other thing I'll apologize for is this episode came out or is coming out today, a week after the day that we recorded it. And on that day that we recorded it, um, my new upstairs neighbors were moving in. So not only are we celebrating and marking the moment of me meeting and speaking with Vivian Lee for the first time, we're also in this episode marking the date of the... <laughs> The day my my living situation got a lot louder. And uh, just in case you don't believe me, I'm pretty sure you're going to be able to hear some knocks and bangs uh, during the interview. And and for that, I apologize. Um, But this is the reality of running an amateur podcast. You're never really in an ideal sound situation. They're they're very hard to create. So uh, 77 episodes. I know not all 77 have had great great audio. Um, We can put this one in the column of things that where, you know, I've, I've uh, maybe not mastered it yet, but um, yeah, I hope you'll, I hope you'll listen on. Um, Vivian is a fantastic writer. She's a great artist, and I'm just so excited to talk about this book that she's put out. It's a chat book. It's called Someday I Promise I'll Love You. It's out with 845 Press, and it's the subject of today's episode. Let's, let's get to her bio here. So Vivian Zhaowen Li who is a queer, first-generation, Chinese-Canadian immigrant writer, musician, director, and interdisciplinary artist suffering from depression. Her passion in life is creation and co-creation between artists, collaborators, and communities with themes related to mental health and liminal identity. Her creative works are forthcoming or published in the New Quarterly, the Massachusetts Review, The Fiddlehead, CV2, and Vallum, among others. Most recently, she was a finalist for the Peter Hinchcliffe Award, longlisted for the Commonwealth Short Story Prize, and shortlisted for the Vancouver City Poems Contest. Her first chapbook, Someday I Promise I'll Love You, came out with 845 Press last year, and her debut short musical dramedy film, In Silence We Sing, premiered at the Toronto Real Asian International Film Festival 2022. Her past acting and playwright credits include Little Women and Guitar Strings. She has directed for the Orr Festival, 
and the Brave New Playwrights Festival. She has also received research grants from Shirk, MITAX, M-I-T-A-C-S, uh, there you go, and Go Global, among others. And she's currently a member of the League of Canadian Poets, Playwrights Guild of Canada, as well as the Writers Union of Canada, an MFA candidate at the UBC School of Creative Writing. She currently edits for Prism International and Augur, and can be reached on Twitter and Instagram at Vivian Lee Creates. Here I am talking to the multi-talented, fantastic guest that is Vivian Lee. This is our March episode of Page Fright, and we're recording it with like a couple days left in March. So I'm getting in under the wire on this one. Um, but I'm so thrilled to finally have today's guest on because I've been talking to them for a while about having them on to chat about their chat book, which is fantastic. It's called Someday I Promise I'll Love You. Today I'm talking with Vivian Lee. Vivian, how's it going? Uh, it's good. How are you? <laughs> you know what? I'm okay. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you. This is like a peek behind the scenes. I have new upstairs neighbors, and I'm wondering if we're going to be able to hear them at any point during the recording. So that's a little uh, Easter egg for listeners. <laughs> if you hear <laughs> stomping or children, then um, that's because I am under both of those things. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, super excited. Hopefully it doesn't interfere with with your beautiful poetry. I really loved your chat book and I'm so excited to talk about it. But before we dive in, would it be possible to get you to read a piece from it or just another poem or something of yours to get us acquainted with your work? Uh, of course. Yeah, let me just... This is the first poem of the chat book uh, and it's called Someday I Promise I'll Love You. She... You are most beautiful when you forget what beauty is. The dew is filled with sun on days that remain still. Waterfalls, too, carrieth them the earth that must be moved. Sorry, I think I... Can we start that one more time? I'm just gonna... Totally. Yep, let's do it. Okay. Uh, this is um, the first poem from the chapbook, Someday, and it's called Someday I Promise I'll Love You. She, you are most beautiful when you forget what beauty is. The dew was filled with sun on days that remain still. Waterfalls, too, carry with them the earth that must be moved. Mother King's blue chrysanthemums with her fingers, her nails tessellate stars into earthy loam, once called hope. Swanning into air, the night curls around her voice like a circlet. Somehow she can only sing silver. Her father rusts into ashes. Allow him to encircle you because of his lost tenderness and his awareness that there is love. She, do not be afraid of the home. The house is not always a hearth. Silence can be swallowed without incisions. You are not always bound to being loved, to feeling loved. Remember what soft beauty lies in a raw egg. How tightly light lingers on the dead. A defense is not always a wall to be pierced. Sometimes it is a promise to embrace you in the future. When father peels from sentimento to painting, he is trying to forget that he treasures you as much as he remembers his mother. You, too, can wrap yourself in as many tapestries as there are constellations and draw an X on your chest that begins with the touch of his hand. Ribbon the solitude into threads webbed inside your secret. 
I promise one day you'll learn to nurture them as reflections glide through ripples of shadow to green. Tomorrow, unfurl your evaporated body and sing across a shallow pond, the edge of life. I will hold you long enough to love the taste of the earth. Amazing. I love that you started with the opening poem from the chapbook, both because it gives us a little bit of a view into what, you know, the structure of this little project is, and because it's one of my favorite poems from the chapbook, and I'm so happy that you picked to read it. Um, I, I think people who listen to this show may at this point be familiar with my method of annotating things because I talk about it a lot on here. Um, so I use a four color pen, like one of those little ones where you can like click down a different color. And uh, if I like a line a lot, I'll put it in red, like I'll underline it in red. And the line from this poem that I underlined in red was a defense is not always a wall to be pierced. Sometimes it is a promise to embrace you. I thought that was really powerful. And I'm so glad that you started with that poem. Um, and it perfectly feeds into one of the questions I was asking you, um, which is uh, love poems. Love poems mm -hmm. are kind of tricky and poems about love are kind of tricky in the sense that like, it's hard to write an original one. Um, and I, I ask questions like this a lot about like, how do you write a good love poem is essentially what I'm about to ask you. But I ask this about other types of poems too all the time where it feels like the subject matter is something that it's hard to come up with a new take on. Mm. Um, so for you, as you're reading and writing these poems, mm -hmm. what makes a good love poem? Yeah, that's a, it's a tough one, right? Like figuring out um, if what I'm writing is like new or like it feels like different or it's like we're going on to new paths instead of going on the same ones. Um, well, thank you for like your lovely comments about um, the first poem. Like, I really, that line about defense is not always a wall to be pierced. I feel like, yeah, it, it's just one of my favorite lines as well. So thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> um, and I think, uh, I don't know, for me, um, I I honestly write more love poems about loving, like hopefully, <laughs> not even loving, hopefully um, finding love or like um, exploring love for myself. And so like, like the kind of more like letter-ish second person perspective format feels like is trying to get intimate in this particular one. Um, I don't know. For me, a good love poem, um, it, it really is very like a specific um, kind of feeling. It kind of delves into like the almost like the hopes and the fears and there's like love, but there's also like, like, trepidation and maybe that's just how I <laughs> see love this is too much this is too much information about me um but yeah it, it's like I feel like I write I actually wrote a love poem for my partner recently and it was like like a hard one because I feel like it's like what does love mean between two people but like I feel like I spent so much time with myself that like someday I promise I'll love you like this one kind of came from like a desire to, to like, you know, um, placate myself or placate the person inside me who's like afraid of love. So, yeah. Yeah, no. And, and it's interesting to me too, how, so I've been writing um, poems that are somewhat actually similar to, to what this poem does and, and is, is shooting for mm -hmm. in like that. I've been writing poems to myself a lot lately. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And it's not just because I'm self-centered. It's also because <laughs> I'm trying to figure stuff out about myself. And uh, I'm in this period in my life right now where I'm I'm sort of dealing with like queerness and, and figuring out where I fit on a gender mm. scale or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Mm. Uh, and like all of these things that make you kind of question yourself a little bit. And, and so searching and writing about yourself is, is always a really interesting experience. Um, especially when you write kind of like this poem is like an epistolary poem, a letter poem to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very weird thing to do in the sense that you're putting yourself outside of yourself Mm-hmm. Um, while also occupying like the person that you already are, it's it's really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that it brings out really specific and powerful revelations about mm-hmm. yourself. And I think that's what makes this particular poem work really well for me is that there's a lot of specificity and there's a lot of things that seem to be earnestly impacting the speaker. And, and it's just really cool. So um that, I guess I haven't really built this up to a question. Let me chuck a question in here. Um, <laughs> saying, no, thank you. Saying, it's, like, oh, it's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But I, I do need to ask too. Like um, with with writing this sort of poem, when you mm-hmm. sit down to write it and, and after you write it, do you find that things have maybe changed a little bit in, you see your, in how you see yourself? And especially after you publish it too, does that mm-hmm. have an impact at all? Um, definitely. Um, this poem was actually a bit hard to write. Uh, and that I kind of really sat with it for a few days um, and really like tried to dig deep. <laughs> um, and I feel like like these kind of insights, like this is why I love art so much and love writing poetry, like the line about pentimento to painting or like the defense not always well to be pierced. Like those are insights I kind of had while I was writing this poem. Mm. Um, so like thinking, looking back at these like little like, I don't know, epithets, kind of like, oh, this is, you know, a defense not always a wall to be pierced. Like, it's okay that there's a wall there. Like, maybe there's a chance for something else to happen in the future. Um, it's different experience, like, writing it and then going like, oh, that was, those are interesting insights. And then going back and, like, reading it again and again. And I've been, like, doing some readings recently. And every time I read this, I'm like, oh, there's something new here that I've kind of remember from the emotions um, of writing it. And yeah, I think it's just, I don't know, the more, I feel like I've gotten to know this poem quite well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I feel like, like, it's an interesting thing, because like, when you're writing, it's like, you're at that moment in stage of your life, moment of your life, when you're trying to figure something out. Um, And then you go back and you're like, oh, I kind of feel like I have a different perspective on this. Um, So yeah, it's, it's interesting to just go back and see where I was and where I am now, even if it's a little subtly changes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and actually on that note of kind of how your perception of your work might change over time, I guess this is a good time for me to bring in my question for you from my last episode's guest. (laughs) Amazing. Okay. Um, so Charlie Petch was my last guest last Mm. month and they were wondering, has a poem ever come back to bite you? Uh, this is maybe a, a really interesting question in the sense that like, you know, not just how your perception of a poem changes, but how people's perception of your poem might change over time. So mm. Vivian, has a poem ever come back to bite you? One of the ones, I mean, I don't know if like, ex- like whole poems come back to bite me all of the time, but definitely like lines from poems or lines that are like um, from stories that are kind of like musical, poetic in quality. Um, 
for instance, one of them's like, um, so we beat on boats against the current, borne back ceaselessly into the past from the Great Gatsby. Mm. I, I, I feel like that line is like always on my mind um, whenever something happens or like um, the poem, like, um, do not go to enchant that good night, rage, rage against dying of the light. That one like kind of comes frequently for me as well. And I don't know, I feel like the way they kind of frame my perspective on things sometimes. Um, and just thinking about the poetry I write, I feel like they're all like subconsciously in some way, like guiding me towards um, these insights that I'm trying to look for. So I don't think yeah. that was a very good answer. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Yeah. No, I think I think it's a good answer. I like I like the idea of it being specific lines too, because like mm-hmm. oftentimes it's not necessarily. I think the message of a whole poem, if it's you know a, a decent person writing the poem, is going to be pretty earnest and like uh, relatable and really. Oh, I was gonna say positive, but that's not always the case. I mean, mm-hmm. I only write sad poems, but uh, <laughs> I do think that um, there are oftentimes when I look back at you know, drafts of poems, usually it's a draft that didn't make it somewhere. And I, I look at a specific line and I'm like, oh, that line, I don't feel that way anymore. And I, and it's not just that I don't feel that way. It's that I feel the exact opposite or like, I, I just don't feel like it ages well, not in terms of like some sort of, you know, political climate thing, but more just like a personal taste. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I always find that interesting to, to look at that and how, it can be a specific thing. And and like I said about that first poem that you read too, the specificity is often what makes a poem. Like it's, it's, it's often like the whole poem can be really, really strong and the whole poem can work as its own thing. Mm-hmm. But often a specific line is what stands out to us, or at least to me as a reader. Um, so that specificity, I think, is really important. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things too that I wanted to ask, because we've been talking about specificity and uh, this one specific poem, uh, is <laughs> what brought you to putting together this chapbook as a collection, and how was it putting together what I believe is your first collection of poems? Uh, yes, this is my first collection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how was it putting that together? Yeah, it was definitely a um, intense time um, because around the same time that I like I that I knew the chapbook was accepted I was also working on my first short film a musical dramedy uh called in silence we sing (laughs) cool um so it was it's part of um a program and it's like the end result was premiered at the Toronto Asian Film Festival in November uh, which was around the same time my chapbook was published so like I was like drawing these illustrations and um I feel like there was almost like a probably some kind of subconscious calling back and forth between like the musical I was working on and like um, the, like the editing for this, um, these poems. But I, a lot of them came from um, my courses, our workshops in poetry in the creative writing uh, department with Billy Ray Belcourt. A lot of like some of the prompts came up like red um, that came from a prompt. Um, and I just kind of edited it and then, I just felt like a lot of these poems are like about a sort of loss or sort of like trying to find something about loss. So um, I don't know. I feel like it was really fun just like laying things out on um, 
on the page, like for instance, Great Constellations, Reflecting Grief and Joy, like the little sections, it was really fun just to like try to like, I don't know, like make it like a physical um, shape into mm. certain, like, like a little four leaf clover or little sections. It was really fun. Um, but yeah, I actually had a lot of the poems written already and they've been, they've already been like published in like different venues. And then I was like, I really want to see this as like a cohesive thing, kind of like responding to each other and like a journey through like pain, but also like hopeful uh, love and like, and like ancestral like connection at the end in some way. So I wanted that journey to happen. So mm. that's why a lot of the happier ones are near the end. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed like, oh, there's the only happy one is like joyful moments like that. That one has joy in it. Uh, in the title actually so yeah it, it was like this whole journey of like me trying to find some kind of um understanding with like my mental health and I know that's probably not gonna go away like depression everything but it's just nice to have like something that oh, I went through all this stuff and I'm still kind of here so yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think that's really powerful. And, and I often find writing about mental health can be similar to writing a love poem in, in the way that I described it at the opening of this interview and in, in mm -hmm. the sense that like, it's a new-ish topic, mental health, but I often mm -hmm. feel like a lot of, like, how do you provide a new take on depression or anxiety? Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and often often those things come from specificity as well and, and mm -hmm. grounding the poem in your own experiences. But um, you know, I, I, I write a lot about mental health as well, and, and mm -hmm. I'm thinking a lot about um, depression and anxiety and trauma in, in my writing. And um, these things can be really difficult to deal with, too, um, not just from a, like, you know, personal standpoint of, hey, I'm dealing with trauma and depression, and anxiety, but also from a point of, like, I don't want to overwhelm the reader, and I don't mm. want to you know, make the entire poem just this really sad portrayal of everything. Because to be honest, it, it can go that way when I'm writing a draft, right? So I, I guess what I'm leaning towards is like you mentioned, kind of jokingly, but it's true. Like I, I did this in my chat book as well. A lot of the sad poems are kind of scattered throughout for me. And, and for you here, we've got a bunch at the start and then it gets happier at the end. Yeah. So I guess like, is this something you took into consideration when you were ordering the poems? Were you, were you thinking about kind of the tone of the chat book and the mood it might leave your reader in? Yeah, I definitely was feeling that. Um, definitely, for sure. I, I was like, in the sad poems, I, f I feel like, yeah, definitely, there's not a lot of levity. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, de I wanted to leave the reader, like, I wanted it to be like this journey through like, and some people read it differently, of course, they don't always go from the front to the back, but True. just kind of seeing like more of a like like a hopeful ending I think it was also for me too like I wouldn't have been able like it would have been so sad to start with joyful days and moments and then end with like the scene <laughs> the one about the subway like it would have been <laughs> would have been really tragic I think <laughs> yeah no totally and, and I get that idea too of like you want to leave the reader with something uh, that's not gonna bog them down for the rest of the day when they put the chat book down, that sort of thing. So I get, yeah. I get that. Um, but speaking, speaking kind of about uh, things that that can be difficult to talk about, things mm -hmm. that can be difficult to capture in writing. Um, I wrote down here 
and it's I mean it's true it's in the chat book too um two of the titles of your poems so one of them that I picked out was I remember now mm-hmm. and the other one was remember me mm-hmm. and so I wanted to ask about memory and how you're working through it and using it in this chat book and whether your perception of memory has changed uh as you've been writing this project and afterwards well I love how um you've caught on to that like um the like the memory I feel like memory is something that I really work with a lot in my um in my fiction and like like I'm working on the screenplay right now it has a lot to do with memory as well so I feel like memory is really I kind of really think started with my grandmother who kind of like um who a few years ago passed away um from Alzheimer's and so memory and um remembering to me kind of has something to do with like this almost um connection to our ancestors or like to my family or like remembering who I was like imprints um I feel like memory is just like really like something that I I really want to grasp understand um and yet like it's so much of like personal identity I feel like because we forget things we don't remember who we are sometimes I don't know like connections with people like that's all very powerful to me I feel like and memory is one of those things that makes us like connect I feel like sometimes because like if you remember somebody uh if you remember something about somebody like they immediately like are like oh you remember this about me kind of like there's like an overlapping there's like a like um looking back and there's like a musical quality to it I feel like um Sorry, that was not <laughs> all that to say, like, I think memory through this chapbook really, um, it kind of is like a very retrospective chapbook in some ways, mm-hmm. um, because there are moments where I'm like, I'm reflecting on like, what we couldn't do, what we, where we couldn't go to see my grandfather before he passed or um, like memory of what happened um in like what almost happened in the past or could have happened in the past to me yeah um and and it's just like a way of like memory i feel like the more remember something the more something could like shift but also the more it feels like colors like colors of like puddles the more you like remember something the more like the the pink color kind of shows the as you more overlap it and i feel like i remember now was like this kind of reminder to myself because I had been working on this assumption for many years that it had to be good enough to be loved. And so telling myself, like, remember now, it's also like your memory for the future. Kind of like the more I read this, the more hopefully I'll remember that this is another truth. And remember me was, yeah, it was kind of like, I really like Chinese poetry, Chinese classical poetry, especially as well. So it was kind of like a way to meeting like a friend, like, like friendships, relationships are hard. (laughs) And like, kind of just for the past and the future, meeting a friend is, is a powerful thing, I think. And it's memory that should be remembered. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's, what's hard to, so, so, uh, to put all the cards on the table like I, I have a grandmother as well who, who's currently experiencing uh, kind of like a dementia and, and losing mm-hmm. her memories and, and 
Uh, there's a poem about it actually in my first chapbook, which came out with the same press with 845 Press. Uh, yeah, um, but uh, one of the things that I, I think about so often when I think of her is how, you know, losing a memory isn't just losing a, a bunch of things that happen to you because. Mm-hmm. When I think of myself and my identity, it's so closely intertwined with the things that have happened to me and the experiences mm-hmm. I've gone through. I mean, that's what makes us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you lose that, what what of you remains? It's, it's, it's really hard for me to think through and think about. Um, mm-hmm. and, and to be honest, it's probably bumming out a lot of listeners right now, but, <laughs> um, but it's oh true. <laughs> like, it's true though. Like this, this is one of the things that I think about a lot and like, I, and it brings me to thinking through memory, um, in, in detail because the way that we remember things is always biased as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's changing in terms of our personal preferences and the ways we're leaning and the things that follow each memory as well mm-hmm. influence the ones that came before. It's just, it's crazy, all this stuff overlapping. So yeah. all this to say, I thought that the thoughts that you did provide on memory in this chat book and the way that you incorporated into the work were really, really interesting and, and a great addition to this sort of conversation that at least I'm having with myself if nobody else is having it. But I do think there are other people out there too. Um, yeah. <laughs> um we're about halfway through Vivian do you think I could ask you to read another poem for us yes uh on a memory I'm gonna read I remember now (laughs) nice nice I remember now don't have to be good to be loved like how we rested our sunset minds in the shallow altar of our ancestors along dotted lines of nostalgia and regret and signed our names under the midnight umbrella uplifting across mountains a valley is threaded with flashes of a million light and Sam Storm's song. I don't have to open my mouth and encase you because of the lava stone heat. And I'll thaw my hands against your bare chest the night, the wandering desert. You don't have to linger in the thin oasis or nor lose our meeting place between stars and horizon, halos of boats curling smoke to meet our lips. I realize we are somewhere in the hand of the moon. We are walking somewhere I don't recall, and the footprints you leave behind simmer with water-bending desires. As we cling to breath between the curves of our bodies, I repeat after your voice, one with butterfly thrummings and the beat of falling water over rocks. You don't have to be good enough to be loved. You don't have to be good enough to be loved. Another really powerful one. Thank you for reading this, and, and I really love that. Uh, that ending couplet, the repeated lines, um, I think are are extremely powerful. Um, and and okay, so this is I'm moving into questions here that I had written down to ask you uh, this morning as I was rereading the chat book, but don't necessarily pertain to what we've been talking about. So, <laughs> so in, join me in this abrupt shift. Um, <laughs> so so one of the things you mentioned is you are a multidisciplinary artist. Um, you you create film, music. Uh, you're an actor. Uh, there's there's a lot of things that you do. And I wanted to ask how uh, to start um, combining the visual art that you do mm. with the poetry in this chat book came about. What what led you to make the decision to do that? And how do you feel it influences the words? Yeah, um, I definitely for the visual aspects, like. I think what I think what inspired me to do that was um I was taking like this comics class with Sarah Levitt and we did a lot of like diary comics and illustrations and it got me thinking like 
you know, like there's so many different artistic disciplines out there. Um, and I love how like things are like melding together. And like, I wondered about um, just incorporating a sort of like visual aspect in terms of, I think the first thing that really came to mind was in Xing, where I wanted like something in the middle, like it, it felt like it needed something. It's about like a stone in the middle mm. of like a pond almost. So I wanted something in the middle and I was like, well, why don't I like draw something for that? And then I just um, asked Aaron. Aaron's like, yeah, sure. I was like, thank you, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, not sure. I was like, this will be black and white. We won't need any color. It's not going to be expensive, hopefully. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I just kind of like started sketching um, different possibilities that inspired, like for instance, collection had the eyes. And then I just kind of read the poems and like thought about like what, what kind of, images are evoked here and um what kind of feeling do i want uh readers to stop at Mm. um for instance all my friends are golden and bright there's like a little person and it's inspired by the chinese character wu which means nothing Mm. so i would originally when i first wrote it i had nothing like in the area like it was just a blank place but like i thought like maybe the a person there would like really show the kind yeah. of puppetry that's happening there um so I, I added that in so yeah i just wanted like moments where people like it just added something um yeah. to the words yeah yeah i find that super interesting too because I, I i've tried in the past i don't think it's been my best work but i've tried in the past to do ekphrastic writing where mm-hmm. you know i'm writing about art and um there's fantastic fantastic work like that out there uh, that I've always wanted to be able to do and been jealous of the fact that I'm not at that, <laughs> at that level to write in that <laughs> style. I, I I will, but I'll also probably stay in my lane. I know where it is <laughs> and I'm going to stick in there. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I do find it really, really interesting, that exercise in terms of producing art about art. And mm. I always think of it as a one-way street in the sense of like oh it's visual art to poetry but it's really interesting for me to hear about it going the other way for you and and Mm. sort of starting with a poem and then thinking okay what illustrations can I do not just to accompany this poem but actually become a part of it and add to it Mm -hmm. um is a really interesting experience um yeah that's that's super cool and I I guess it I also wanted to ask too because I mentioned obviously you do a lot of stuff outside of poetry Mm -hmm. um how music and singing and sound are used in your poetry as well so obviously we've talked about the visual component but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of references to sound and music and singing um not just references but i feel as if the poems themselves are very musical so how does that kind of influence your your poetic style yeah no thank you for your question i feel like like so i do a lot of different artistic forms but like, I think my main first loves are always writing in music. So anything that branches off from that is, like, kind of um, what makes, I feel like, why I love dance so much, because it branches off the music. But um, and in terms of, like, the musical quality of my poems, I feel like um, it definitely, 100%. I feel like music is such important influence, not only in my poetry, but also the way I write fiction. And I realized this recently, like, thinking about my process of writing that I don't, when I write something, I don't always see images first. I I usually, so what I realize I do is I like listen to the words hmm. and the words evoke some kind of emotion or texture or feeling 
that I feel like, ah, oh, this word should be here. Yeah. And then and then I work with the images that result from that. I don't know how that works, but like that's kind of I feel like my process is musical in quality. It kind of goes from like the hearing the sound of the words first. Yeah. Um I, and, I really like that. Yeah, I don't know. I just I think that's kind of my process. Um and the visuals are still definitely there. Um but I feel like the quality of the words almost like comes first in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I actually, I think about this a lot, not in terms, I, I don't feel like I'm a particularly like sound focused or musical writer. And I always feel a little weird about that in the sense that like the people that I've talked to, for instance, on this show have often, you know, preached the importance of sound to writing. And I imagine mm-hmm. if I ask you about it, you'll do the same because that's what <laughs> poets kind of do. They, they know that words that sound good together go together and that's how you make poetry um for me i i've always approached for better or worse my writing um as almost like thinking about tone in the way of sound but Mm. thinking about tone more in the sense of emotion Mm. and like the way that you just described um okay i like the way this word sounds or i like the way that this phrase sounds and now let's build around it as sort of the building blocks for a poem Mm -hmm. for me i was thinking okay well what do i do while you were saying Mm -hmm. that and and what i think i do is i'll get an emotion that i'm trying to get to Mm -hmm. a specific feeling and then think through you know specific instances and images that might evoke that feeling whether they're like just general images or even better more specific images from my life or experiences that Mm -hmm. i've had um, that get towards that that feeling that you're trying to bring the reader to. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I when I think about if I were to tell somebody like, oh, yeah, I'm really, really interested in sound. Like I probably wouldn't say that about me, but I'm very interested in the vibe. Mm, and making, yeah, the vibe, that's sure, the right word, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like making sure that you get the right vibe from the mm-hmm, poem because I do mm-hmm. feel like, you know, like a, a, a poem is often compared to a room and you step into it. And mm. and so I feel like the tone of that room is really important to set and it can change throughout the poem. But like, mm. that seems to be my starting point more than like a sound thing. And, and even when I'm like reading back a poem, I'm definitely mm. one of the people who's like more focused on images and stuff. And I think this probably is just coming from my lack of musical ability or uh, <laughs> lack of <laughs> knowledge of sound, that sort of thing. Um, but it, it's really, really one of those things. And it's actually the same with visual art where I'm I'm pretty mm. envious of the people who are like, like basically what you're saying, who, who are like, oh yeah, I, I, I work around and, and through sound mm. quite frequently because it's something that it isn't foreign to me, but I, I wouldn't call it a strength. Mm. Um, and I'm happy to admit that openly. <laughs> um, but but I think a, a lot of people, it's so integral to their practice. Mm. And and I kind of, I guess I'm, I'm at a point where I'm like, why why is it not important to me? Mm. Should it be? What am I missing? And, mm. I, and I have no doubt that it, if I had some more knowledge of sound and how it can influence poems, that it would greatly improve and, and impact the way that I write. Mm. Um, but it's just something I don't know about. Um, long, long, again, not a question for you. Just, <laughs> just a long statement. No, I just wanted to say like, also like what you talked about, like the vibe, like you have an emotion, you want to fit the vibe. I feel like that's, that is something that um, I do as well. Like kind of like there's a vibe. I try to look for the words that fit that vibe, but all the words have this kind of texture or emotion to them that, that fit that vibe. Mm. or like are trying to fit the vibe and i'm like oh that's the vibe i'm going for 
does that make sense i don't know but i, I kind of totally. I, I understand what you're saying is what i'm getting at like the we're trying to fit the vibe and the yeah. vibe is something we want to get to other people as well <laughs> yeah i mean that's i mean that's the whole point right with art mm-hmm. is that you're trying to evoke an emotion that's brought forth by a specific experience or, or understanding of something and um i think if that's that's what for me makes a really successful poem is if i leave the poem feeling a way that i i maybe didn't feel going into it Mm. um then you know it's impacted you and and i think that's what's really powerful about poetry is that um you know i i've talked on here before about uh, my inability to read prose um and Mm. (laughs) specifically long form prose because Mm. i don't have the attention span so one of the things that i love about poetry is how quickly you can change your mood just by reading a poem Mm. um and that doesn't mean like oh when i'm sad i read this poem and immediately i feel better it can actually Mm. And often, unfortunately for me, with the way that I like poems is the other way around where I'm feeling great and I'll read a real bummer of a poem and I'll be like, oh, that's sad, but that is good. Yeah. Uh, and so, so you know, it's just I think that's such a powerful property of poetry is that like that's what we're trying to do. Um, and maybe we just have different ways of getting there. I don't know. Yeah. Our methods may be different, but like our intentions and the end result is something we both we all share. So. That's really lovely about art. And I feel like that kind of is true for all a lot of artistic disciplines as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that's just a poetry thing. I think mm-hmm. it's um, one of the things that, that is really what people gravitate towards art for is an mm-hmm. understanding of a shared experience or emotion. And it's just a matter of how you get there through the art form. And, and yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so we're, we're unfortunately, Vivian, we're approaching the end of our episode here. Um, oh, but I, I got to, yeah, I got to, I got to ask you for some stuff, though. The first thing I need, I need to ask you for is a question mm. for my next episode's guest. Now, I don't know who they're going to be, but I'll tell mm. you right now, pretty good chance they're going to be a poet. Mm. So uh, do you have a question I can ask a random poet? Yeah, um, I want to ask them, uh kind of emotion does green tea evoke for you <laughs> okay uh i love again the specificity um okay specific, I, however well <laughs> you no know, no i love it i love it so okay so i as you may or may not know do this mean thing where i turn the question around so now i'm going to ask you vivian oh, yes <laughs> yeah uh what kind of emotion does green tea evoke for you um serenity tranquility Mm. Um. Yeah, just I don't know if you've watched um. Uh, La La, uh Last Airbender. Um, no, sorry. Oh Iroh. yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, but <laughs> Uncle Iroh always drinking his tea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That kind of emotion of being, you know, at peace. Yeah. Totally. And I and again, I think it's uh, one of those things where you gravitate back towards something, whether it's a piece of art or a cup of green tea mm-hmm. uh, for the feeling that it evokes. And, and I really love that. That's I and I, I think I have the same experience in that, like, I'm not a tea drinker by any means. I'm a coffee drinker. But mm-hmm. when I drink green tea um on the rare occasion you know i'm getting sushi or whatever and there's green tea there um it's very peaceful and calming even though i'm in the middle of a loud sushi restaurant uh it it can be it can be very nice to drink some green tea and now i kind of want green tea so i think i know what i'm doing after we finish recording (laughs) um yeah but but that's that's a really good question and i love how specific it is um before we go vivian i'm wondering if you can give us another poem to kind of leave things on for sure. 
Um, I'm thinking I'll read something a little bit happier. <laughs> cool, cool. Sounds Given good. the trajectory of our conversation. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to be reading the one poem that has joy in the title. Uh, Soup days, pizza dinners, and other joyful moments. Smooth, soft congee in mid-mornings before birds sing. Instant ramen for depressed, droopy afternoons. With rejection letters, rain, and no-go moods. Next to videos of boops. Perfect companions for any storm. Soup is for love. My father knows. Without soup, there is no love. Questions my mother answered with four piping bowls of luobuo, jiang, juro, happy feet, stomach soup. She knows. With this, we are together again. When I consume watermelon on dry days without sufficient sweets to halt, tingling arms, supraspinitis, plantar fasciitis, and other Latin names of pain, my brother tells me pizza is the only way to start loving again. A slice of understanding between web-focused, we-know-chat, singular individuals. Three for free talk, two given to share. And even though it's too early to lay bare our faces to the air, or remove our corduroy masks, now that I've realized the gold of Chinese blood is hot water, within warmth of homes, we can now find the perfect sushi dish to deal mahjong with. Two pie converting to 3,000 friendship points. One dinner, a translation to 30 beams of joy. Amazing. So the chapbook, folks, is called Someday I Promise I'll Love You. It is by today's guest, Vivian Lee. And I sincerely hope you'll check it out because it is both a fantastic chapbook and produced by a fantastic publisher. <laughs> we love here, 845 Press, Aaron, uh, putting this one out. And again, crushing it with picking some great people to publish. This is a really cool chapbook, and I hope you'll check it out. Um, Vivian, before we go, is there anything, I guess, that I can, like, direct people to? Can Is there anything you want to plug? Uh, do you have more work coming out anywhere, or are you at work on anything? Um, um, yeah, I mean, they can follow me um, at Vivian Lee Creates Twitter or Instagram. Um, and I think uh, recently one of my short stories got shortlisted for the peter hinchcliffe short fiction award and that's oh, cool. coming out in spring i think in with the new quarterly um okay. yeah and i'm just working on a a play if anyone's around vancouver wants to come to a, a stage reading of my play i think it's may 13 or 14th just <laughs> reach out i'll tell you um Check out the Twitter. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's a epic kind of underworld journey with three uh, women of the same of different generations in the same matrilineal lineage so that's yeah, pretty cool so come check it out <laughs> i think you're probably underselling that that sounds really sick um, <laughs> okay so go check out vivian's play if you're in vancouver if you're not in vancouver you need to get the chat book just like everybody in vancouver should um and for now i guess i'm just gonna throw it back to me signing off vivian thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today no, thank you, Andrew. This was really a great pleasure. And thank you so much for all your questions. I really enjoyed them all. So there you have it. That was me chatting with Vivian Lee. I hope you enjoyed that interview. For me, I, I had some time, obviously, quite a bit of time between the last interview with Charlie Petch and this one with Vivian um, admittedly going through a reading slump and so to return to poetry through Vivian's work was very welcome. It was, it was great. Um, and so to sit down and chat with her meant a lot. Um, as well, I just want to take a second to shout out 
both of our wonderful publishers. Uh, we both publish with 845 Press, who do a fantastic job with chapbooks, and, and you should check out their new releases. Their whole new line is really cool. I've got a bunch of them. Um, and I really recommend just, you know, checking out 845 Press. Past titles, too. Everything there is great. Um, so, I don't have a ton of housekeeping here. Um, follow the podcast, I guess? Yeah, follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. The reason I say that specifically for this episode is the next episode, I want to get out, like, in April, obviously. Um, but I'm going to be going away for part of April. And so I don't know how it's going to work. So if you follow the podcast, you'll be the first to know that it's up and existing this new episode that I'm currently um, planning. Um, so do that. You can subscribe as well. And it helps a lot if you rate and review the show, because if you do that, then rando people that kind of like stumble across this will see those reviews go, oh, cool, cool show. Let's check it out and learn about the work of these poets. And that right there, getting these poets some more eyes on their books that's the goal. Um, so if you can do that, you are helping to achieve that goal. Without much else to say, I'll be back in a month or so. I hope everybody's keeping well. I hope everybody has enjoyed this episode, and I hope to be back behind the microphone soon. My name is Andrew French. I'm on Twitter at TheAndrewFrench, and this, of course, this has been Page Fright. Mm-hmm.